We're jumping into chapter 2 of Hebrews, and we're going to be reading just again here, and we'll refer to it several times, verses 1 through 4. So listen again attentively to God's Word. Therefore, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. Now, as always in Bible study, a basic rule of thumb is that when you find a therefore, find out what it's there for. And the therefore here is pointing back to chapter 1, and is pointing to the glorious truth, the Christ-elevating, Christ-exalting truth laid out in the first chapter. And in that first chapter, there's no direction to us in that chapter, no suggestions for better living, no commands to obey, only the presentation of the glorious, wonderful Son. And what did He tell us in that chapter? He told us that Jesus is the final and full Word of God. The full revelation of who God is. Jesus is greater than all the prophets because they spoke a word from God, but Jesus is the Word of God as He is God. The Father has appointed Jesus the heir of all things. The entire universe belongs to Jesus, and and rightly so, seeing that He is the creator of all things and who holds the entire created order together by the word of His power. He is the radiance of God's glory. He is the exact imprint of His nature. He made purification for our sins and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's greater than any angel. Those ministering spirits that He dispatches to do His bidding. He is our prophet who speaks as the Word of God. He is our priest who saves us to the uttermost, finally and forever, by His blood. And He is our King, the gracious ruler who calls us to follow Him, to be one with Him, to be heirs with Him, and to reign with Him for all the ages to come. Someone say hallelujah to that. Now, the writer here pauses. And he pauses and gives us a warning. There are five 
warning passages in the book of Hebrews. You can find them in chapters 2, 3, 5, 10, and 12. And these warning passages are going to be a challenge for us as a church. They're going to be a challenge for us in two ways as we work through the book of Hebrews. The first challenge is this. They're going to challenge our hearts. You know that we teach in this fellowship the eternal security of all those who have genuine saving faith in Jesus. And the warning passages interrupt our confidence. They interrupt our confidence. They shake our hearts. They're meant to. And we can't ignore these warnings. We have to confront them head on. Some of them seem absolutely overwhelming. But we must let them do the work the Holy Spirit intends for our hearts. And the second reason that these will be a challenge for us is that we will likely, and I say this to all of you Bible students out there, you Bereans who search the Scriptures, the second reason that this is going to be a challenge is that we will not likely arrive at an understanding that makes sense to all of us. Uh, God-loving, Jesus-loving scholars who have spent lifetimes in this book have differing views on these passages. So I'll give you mine, and you may or may not agree with me. That's okay. Just know that I think mine's the right one, okay? So let's return then to chapter 2 and that first verse. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. As we said earlier, that therefore is the glorious truth of Jesus Christ, our prophet, our priest, our king, because of the word that he has spoken, because of the sacrifice that he has made, because he rules the universe, there is something we should do, something we must do. And what is that? We should pay attention, pay much closer attention, he says, to the gospel of Jesus, the truth about Jesus, our very relationship with Jesus. We must take it seriously. We must treat it seriously, pursue it seriously. Why? Because our tendency is to drift away from the gospel. The writer uses two nautical terms. The, the words pay attention use a, a Greek word that refers to securing an anchor. We must, be, we must anchor ourselves to gospel truth and hold it fast. And the other term is drift, a very effective word. If we don't actively anchor ourselves in our relationship with Jesus, if we're not listening to Him, if we're not talking with Him, if we're not fellowshipping with the saints, listening to the preached Word, coming in faith to the Lord's table, then we are drifting 
away. Not might, not will, we are drifting away. There's nothing violent or sudden about it. It's not being swept away by a sudden flood or a tsunami. It's so imperceptible that you won't know it until you are far, far off course. This is the warning. This is the great danger for the Christian. It's not a purposeful walking away. It's not a sudden rejection and turning one's back on Christ. I dare say if I asked any of you today who love Christ, are you going to turn your back on Him today and walk away from Him? Most all of you would say, absolutely not. But you say that and you might be drifting. You may even now be drifting. Drifting away in a slow withdrawal. So faint, so gradual. As one writer said, drifting is the quietest, easiest, most delightful way to die. It is vital that we see the truth that there is no such thing as standing still in Christ. It doesn't exist. There is no neutral holding ground. There's no vacation. There's no pause button in the Christian life. We are either vitally and purposefully and tenaciously paying attention to Jesus, holding on to Jesus, obeying Jesus, or we are drifting away from Him. One commentator said it this way. He says, do you realize this? Do you realize that if you do not pay attention to your spiritual condition, it will deteriorate on its own? Do you realize, given the corrupt nature of this world and of your heart, that you naturally become dull and then deadened spiritually, steadily believing the lies of this evil age. Without giving heed to the spiritual resources God provides, your heart will revert to greed, to pride, to malice, to sensuality. All those characteristics that define our natural state in sin and lead to our destruction. Friends, it takes no effort at all to drift away from Christ. It takes no effort at all. It takes effort to follow Christ, but it takes no effort to drift away from Him. Just be neglectful. Just be neglectful. Just neglect the Word of God. Neglect your prayer life. Come to church when you feel like it. Neglect your witness for Christ. Listen to me. Some of us in this room this morning are drifters. We are neglecting 
our Lord Jesus. And the warning in verse 3 is a gut punch if you pay attention to it for a moment when he says, how shall we escape? How shall we escape if we neglect, not reject? He's not talking to those who have rejected the gospel. He's talking to those who are neglecting the gospel, who are neglecting their walk with Christ, neglecting the truth that we should be anchored in. They've let go of the anchor, and now, without even realizing it, they are adrift out and moving away from Christ steadily. Because my friends, listen, if we do not put ourselves under the influence of God's Word, under the influence of the Holy Spirit, under the influence of church and elders and pastors and brothers and sisters, if we don't put ourselves under the influence of that day by day, regularly, let me tell you something. The world never takes a break from assaulting you. The lies of this age never take a break from trying to teach you convince you to try to create dissatisfaction in you, to try to create want or need in you, to try to create selfishness in you, never takes a break. Never. That is the current that we're sitting in. If we let go of the anchor and neglect our spiritual lives, you, it's, it's not that you might, you are drifting away from Christ. You say, Jeff, I, I understand what you're saying. I, I don't always, you know, I don't have regular prayer time. I, I, you know, I, I, I don't read my Bible every day. I don't I don't, but, but, but I love Jesus. I, I'm glad you love Jesus. But you're drifting away from Jesus. The current of this world is too strong. The current of our own flesh is too strong. If we do not keep ourselves anchored and under the influence of the Holy Spirit, of the Word of God, day by day, we will and are drifting. If a severe crisis occurred in your life, if suddenly persecution arose in our land, would, would you be revealed as someone missing their anchor? Someone adrift on the tides and the currents of our age and lost? Are you a drifter this morning? Listen, you can go for a long time pretending to have a relationship that you don't really have. I'm going to say that one more time. You can go for a long time pretending that you have a relationship that you do not truly have. 
C.S. Lewis wrote this, we have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in your mind. It must be fed. And as a matter of fact, he said, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by an honest argument. No. Don't most people simply drift away? Let me move to bring this to a close with two points here. First point is this, is that the writer here wants us to understand that the gospel is different from the law. It's a new covenant. It's a better covenant. Jesus is greater than the prophets. He's greater than that which went before. He's initiated a new covenant. When we take the supper, we use the words, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. The law was delivered by angels to a man who delivered it to those at Mount Sinai in the wilderness. It was a reliable message. It was God's Word to them. And it was clear. If you disobey, these things will happen. And if you obey, these things will happen. It was a clear and reliable message. Look at verse 2. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how then shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? second thing he wants us to see here then is that the gospel is a far more serious and consequential issue. The gospel is a far more serious and consequential issue. Why? Because it was given not by angels to a man to a people. It was given directly by the God-man Jesus Christ. Christ. He delivered it to the apostles who have delivered it to us and those apostles as they delivered that gospel that they got firsthand from God in Christ. And it was attested by miraculous signs and wonders of that day. It is a far more serious and consequential issue. Verse 3, the latter part of verse 3. It was declared at first by the Lord. And it was attested to us by those who heard. While God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to His will. So quite simply, if disobedience to the law delivered by angels to a man and from that man to God's people is certain of punishment, 
Do you hear me? If disobedience to the law that was given by angels to a man, to his people, if disobedience to that will render punishment, then my friends, how will we escape the wrath of God if we refuse the gracious invitation of Jesus Christ? My friends, if you're an unbeliever this morning, how are you going to escape the wrath of God? And the answer is you can't. There is no escape. The only hope that we have is hope that another will set us free, that another will release our chains. My chains are gone. I've been set free. My God, my Savior has rescued me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns. We have to have another save us. That is the only way. And so the writer stops as he'll stop four more times in this book and with warnings more severe as they go. He is warning us not to neglect this great salvation. If you're not a believer today, you need to turn to Jesus and ask Him to save you. Ask Him to give you new life. Ask Him to free you from sin's bondage and from the punishment that we all deserve to rescue you. This day, are you a disciple or a drifter? In this Lenten season of repentance, do you need to come to Christ in a fresh way today, my friends? Do you need to come to Christ in a fresh way, with fresh commitment? Do you need to lay a hold of the anchor of grace today? in a more powerful and profound way. You need to repent of being neglectful, of being half-hearted, of just giving service to God's Word or to prayer or to fellowship, etc., when it's convenient. Do you need to come in a fresh way today? And you see the drift. Are you awakened to the unrelenting currents of the lies that are pulling us to neglect our great salvation? Do we need to repent today and set out in a fresh, in a fresh way? And listen to me, if you are adrift as an unbeliever, if you realize today that You've never had a real relationship with Christ. You say, you say, Jeff, how do I know that? You know that. Your heart will tell you that. The Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. The Holy Spirit, if that's you, He is convicting you that you need to give your heart to Christ. And I would encourage you to come to this table today and to receive these emblems that are for us the body and 
blood of Christ. And I would suggest that you pray on your way down here or right now, but on your way down here, pray and say, Jesus, save me. I have no hope. I cannot escape on my own. I turn to you. Forgive me and take me as your own. And my friend, if you do that on your way down here today, you will arrive at this table a different person than when you got up from your chair. Because the moment you sincerely do that, the moment you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead for your justification, and you are willing to confess with your mouth. In fact, it'd be good if you told one of these two people and just said, I prayed that prayer today. I gave my life to Christ. If we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and confessed with our mouths, Jesus is Lord, we shall be saved. And my brothers and sisters, it is the season of Lent. It is a time when we mark the march of Jesus week by week toward Good Friday and ultimately our celebration on Easter Sunday. But it is a season of repentance. The church cycles in seasons of repentance for a reason. Why is Advent necessary, Jeff? Why is Lent necessary? You know, it, just, it kind of feels fake. It feels like some kind of program. Why, why do we have to go by that calendar? I'll tell you why. Because we forget. Because we forget. Because we would rather entertain ourselves with just happy thoughts. Wouldn't we? We'd rather just entertain ourselves with with good thoughts and happy thoughts and just, just help, tell me how to improve my life. But you know what Advent does? You know what Lent does? Lent brings us around and reminds us you need to be aware of the tendency to drift. And if you are drifting, repent, turn around, and say afresh today, Jesus I lay hold of you, the anchor of grace. I lay hold of the truth of who you are and what you've done for me, my prophet, my priest, my king. And I lay hold of you afresh and I will lash myself to this anchor and I will not give in to the spirit of this age. I will not drift away. I will lay hold of you. I will do, Lord, what I need to do week by week to keep myself under the influence and the power and the wisdom and the grace that you offer as I seek you in prayer, as I listen to your word, as I memorize your scriptures, as I pray, as I meet with my brothers and sisters, and as I come to this table every week to remind me of who you are. This is a picture of the anchor up here. Come lash yourself to that anchor. Our Lord, on the night as he was handed over to suffering and death, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he said, this is my body which is broken 
for you. And after supper, he took the cup, and when he'd given thanks, he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood shed for you. Drink this, all of you, in remembrance of me. Here is an anchor. Here is the place we come to week by week. Every week we come. Why? Why do we do that? Most churches, they, they do that once a month, Jeff, or once a quarter. Why do we do it every week? Because we drift. I, I, I do this because I drift. I'm pulled by the current of the day, and I don't want to do that. I come here and I lay hold of the anchor afresh every week. And I encourage you to do so today as well. Through Christ our Lord.